This episode of the Cut the Crap Show as part of the Resilience Prescription is brought to you by Get Abstract. Go to getab.li slash rrx. Again, it's G-E-T-A-B dot L-I slash rrx. And when you go to that link, you'll get yourself a free three-day trial to over 20,000, 20,000 different summaries. Now, I know you love this show. It's why you're here. So why don't you take the golden nuggets from this show, put it in PDF format for yourself by going to get abstract and downloading the summary for all the episodes that I've covered on the cut the crap show. This episode in particular, even uh, with Barry Schwartz, the paradox of choice it's on get abstract. So if you love this episode and you want the PDF summary to go along with it, then go to getab.li slash RRX and get your free three day trial. If you've already used up your three day trial, don't worry. I'm working with Get Abstract to work out a little deal here for everybody because I love you people. I want to do more for you. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to figure out a way that I can do more for you. Get those free summaries and put them in your hands. So give me a little bit of time. Let me negotiate a little bit with them and I'll figure something out. Again, that's getab.li slash RRX. Get Abstract. All right, before we kick this off, don't forget to throw me in your phone, one 8169 If you have some questions, anything related to resilience, if you want to share with me a setback that happened in your life and the setup that came afterwards, I want to hear about that. If you have a specific golden nugget that you love from this specific episode, then please share that golden nugget with me. I want to get into a conversation with you. I want to get to know who's listening. I just want to hear from you. So throw me a text message, 1-917-540-8169. Look forward to talking with you. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Cut the Crap Show as part of the Resilience Prescription. Hope you're all having a good start to your week. I know I am. It's about 104 degrees Fahrenheit here. That's about, uh, that's about 40 degrees Celsius. It is hot. Hot, 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 and I love it. I don't know about you, but I love going outside for a run and just getting all kinds of sweaty. Getting all kinds of I feel like I have a better workout when I sweat. I was I don't know what what, what do you I was gonna say sweat like a dog, but dogs don't sweat. I know I'm looking at her. Roxy, she's out cold. She hates this weather. She doesn't like this stuff. Dang dog, lazy, lazy girl, lazy. Anyways, I love this stuff, so I can't wait to uh, get this recording out. It makes it really hard to get in the studio, you know? And uh, do these recordings. But I'll tell you, I'm going to pound this one out, get it out there so that I can get back outside and enjoy this heat. And I don't know wherever you are, if you got some heat, hopefully you're able to get outside and enjoy it as well. And if you can't, then I hope you're just enjoying listening to me wherever you are. But this week, we got a good episode. Friend of the show, Barry Schwartz. Man, I love this guy. Those of you who don't know who Barry Schwartz is, he's an American psychologist, and he's the Dorwin Cartwright Professor of Social Theory and Social Action at Swarthmore College, and he uh, frequently publishes his editorials in the New York Times, and he applies his research in psychology to current events. We had him on the show back two years ago talking about the book Why We Work, and now we have him back on the show talking about his book The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less. Now, why do you think this book is important today? Clearly, because we have too many choices, way too many choices. And because we have so many choices, it's hard to pick one choice over the other. We pick one choice and we regret it. We pick one choice and we think, ah, was that the right one? Should I have gone with the other one? Or we have a multitude of choices and we say, I don't know which one to pick. Which one would you pick? If you were me, if you were in my situation, what would you pick? 
I mean, I even go out to dinner with uh, the guys from uh, Brain Jiu-Jitsu. And a lot of the guys will, they sit there looking at the menu and they have too many choices. They don't even know what to pick on the menu. So they go to the waitress or waiter and they say, what would you pick? What's your favorite thing on the menu? And I love that. It's so funny because they don't know what to choose. When you have too many options, it makes it hard to pick which option is probably best for you. What option is best for you? What if you pick an option that doesn't turn out well for you? What do you do? How do you avoid this paralysis by analysis? All these things Barry and I talk about in this episode, and it's such a good episode because choices are not getting smaller for us. The choice of where we spend our time, where we put our money, who we give our attention to is becoming more and more complex and more difficult. So hopefully this book, The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less, is going to help make things a little bit easier on you and give you the ability to think about how you spend your time and how you make choices. Now, how this applies to your resilience is very important. It applies to your resilience because what this does, it helps to increase your self-awareness. It helps to increase your self-belief. It actually increases your self-discipline as well on the path to self-mastery. It triggers all four pillars of resilience, according to Create Your Eight. So this is a great book. Absolutely love talking to Barry. Again, I can't wait to get him back on the show. I Tell him, Barry, you got to get some more books out, man. You got to get more books out so I can get you back on the show. And he laughs. He goes, well, why don't you just bring me on for Creatureator? Bring me on for an episode of Brain Jiu-Jitsu. And I like where this man's going. I like his thinking. But anyways, that's for a future episode. Enjoy this one. Crack into this one. And like I said at the very beginning with the ad, if you want to get the PDF summary of this one, it's also available on Get Abstract. And I'd recommend you go and do that because this one is flush. Flush? Flush. It's flush full? Full? Why did you say full? Why do you say flush? It's full of golden nuggets. In any case, I'm talking too much here. Too much jibber jabber. Crack out in this one and I'll uh, catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Absolutely. Like I was saying, you are on episode 74. So cut the crap nation. If you haven't listened to Barry first time when he was on the show, go all the way back in the annals of the Cut the Crap show to episode 74. We cover his first book, Why We Work. And I think that's really, really important to go ahead and read that before we get into anything else here. So if you haven't listened to that one, put it on the docket, download it, and listen to it. But today, I want to understand this idea of choice. But before we get into this, Barry, for people who haven't heard from you yet or know who you are, maybe give us a quick introduction in terms of who you are what you do, and why you wrote this book, The Paradox of Choice. Sure, Ryan. Um, So I'm a psychologist. I spent uh, 45 years teaching at a place called Swarthmore College outside of Philadelphia, small selective liberal arts college. I retired, moved west to be closer to kids and grandkids, and now I am semi-retired and teaching at the business school, the Haas Business School at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I write books and uh, my interest over many years, 30 years at least, has sort of been at the intersection of psychology and economics. Uh, the reason I wrote the choice book is that people have been incredibly, um, people in this culture have been incredibly enthusiastic about the freedom that market structures and, uh, gives us. You know, we are free basically to choose what we do, what we buy, where we go, where we live, and markets enhance that freedom. And since freedom is good and choice is good, markets are good. Mm -hmm. And the work that I uh, describe in the book 
um, essentially shows that while it is true that choice is good, there can be too much of a good thing. And when there is too much of a good thing, you get paralysis, bad decisions, and, uh, and dissatisfaction with good decisions. So, so that's, that's what piqued my interest in choice. It's sort of part of the, it's in the American bloodstream mm -hmm. that choice is a good thing. You know, you have people screaming about, don't make me wear masks. I have a right not to wear a mask and get COVID and give it to everybody else. Um, and <laughs> don't take my choice away. So too much, too much choice is a problem. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you wrote this book back in 2016. Uh, four years later, now our world seems to have been turned upside down and that's not hyperbole. Our world, it, this is a global pandemic and it's impacted a lot of people and taken away a lot of choice. So obviously being somebody who wrote a book about the paradox of choice, how is this contextually relevant today? And, and what are some of the thoughts you have based on what you're seeing going on in society today with regards to choice? So I think about this a lot, and I think it's a complicated question. There's no, que there's no doubt that people have less freedom of choice now than we did six months ago. And a lot of research shows that, that we are very much attuned to losses. Things we give up hurt more than things we gain make us feel good. So the extent to which we're not as free to choose what we do, where we go, who we do it with, and so on, it feels painful. And it is painful. And so, you know, when I wrote the book, initially, the first edition of the book came out, you know, almost 15 years ago when, um, when, the, when the internet explosion, internet commercial explosion hadn't even really taken off yet. So when I, um, you know, in 2016, the amount of choice people had was bizarre. It was so great. And that is not true at this moment in 2020, although, you know, you can still shop like a madman on the internet and Zoom talk to everybody on earth on the internet. So it isn't necessarily perceived as as much of a loss of choice uh, by some people as it is by others. But I have a feeling that right now people are desperate to have the kinds of choices that they had six short months ago. Um, and so a lot of what we discuss in this half hour, it probably needs to be tempered because it may not, people may not feel the truth of it now, but they will when this, if and when this um, pandemic uh, ever ends. Yeah, I agree. And, and while many of us have lost the ability to choose some of the things that we once had at our fingertips, we still have plenty of choices to make at a micro level and maybe at a macro level from a societal perspective, you've been limited, but you still have an abundance of choices to make. And I still believe that this book is hyper relevant to everybody well, out there. I mean, I agree, but thank you. I agree. Of course. Absolutely. So let's kick into this one, Barry, with golden nugget number one, modern life greatly increases your options. So my first question to you is, does an abundance of choice make you happier? So the answer to that is yes and no. <laughs> so, so, you know, psychologists for half a century have amassed all kinds of evidence that freedom of choice is a good thing. People want autonomy. They want control over their lives. And this is true whether they're buying jeans or cereal or, or whether they're deciding 
when and whether to get married, when and whether to have children, what job to take, where to live, and so on. Choice is good. Um, and that's true. What people didn't realize until the research that I describe in the book started to come out is that even though choice is good, there can be too much of a good thing. And when you have too much of, a good, of this particular good thing, instead of being liberated and smiley-faced by all this choice, you are puzzled, confused, overburdened, and paralyzed. So I don't think there was any way to know that there could be too much choice until we started experiencing too much choice. And I think most, at least most affluent, most reasonably uh, affluent people now feel that there are just too many damn options facing them in every aspect of their lives. Mm. And then, you know, what you get is not happiness, you get misery. I think that that is the key to this book. The reason why I found this book so interesting is because I do believe that a lot of the times what we have here, when people come to me and they say, hey, Ryan, like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm where I'm at in my life right now, whether it be relationship-wise, financially, career-wise, health-wise. And when I ask them what they've done, oh, I've done everything. I've done this and this and this and this and this. And they have so many different options. And they make so many different choices that they really have a follow-through problem because they just, they go from one choice to another and, oh, this one's better than the other. Or, oh, this one is top of mind. And there's a, this one is, is the brightest right now. So I'm going to go with this one. I do believe we have a challenge with how many options we have today, whether it be the choice of a program, the choice of a spouse, the choice of how you spend your time. You know, do I spend my time reading before bed, going on social media, watching TV, praying, meditating, working out, you know, what is it that I do? We have too many choices. And as you said, we get into a state of paralysis. Yeah. What I want to do is help people by giving them some insights, some context um, or content through this interview to help them make better decisions. Um, and that really brings us to gold nugget number two, which we talk about here, selecting among the many options we have. And you say that it's cognitively and psychologically extremely taxing. And so you recommend that we become a chooser, not a picker. So what is a chooser and a picker and why does it make more sense to become a chooser? Okay, so, you know, I, I made this distinction and I attached those two words to, to the distinction um, and people might decide to attach different words, but the idea behind it is this. A picker is basically somebody who sits passively as the conveyor belt of life uh, comes rolling by. Mm and says, yes to this, yes to this, no to this, yes to this, no to this. And so you're extremely passive. And you're saying, is that attractive? Is it not attractive? If it's attractive, yes. If it's not attractive, no. And you never pass up opportunities to choose. A chooser, at least in the way in which I describe it, is somebody who's much more active. So it's, one, it's, it's the sort of person who sort of follows the adage, don't just do something, sit there. In other words, ask yourself, what's important? What do you want? Why do you want it? And once it's clear in your own mind what you're after, then you can go out in the world looking for it. So it's a much more active process, and I think a much more selective process. The result is that you're not bombarded by all these options that the world is giving you because you have a pretty good idea of what it is you want. And so one solution to the problem of overchoice is to know before you start looking what it is you're looking for. 
what advice would you give somebody out there who says, Hey, Barry, like, I guess I'm a picker and I want to be a chooser, but I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. What, what advice do you give that person out there who's listening in Cut the Crap Nation who's saying that it's, it's easy to understand, but what if I don't know what I want? So I want to start a new workout routine or a new diet or I want to choose a new spouse, but I like this and I like this, but I like this and this, but this is good, but so is this. Oh my God, I don't know where to go. How do you help them simplify these decisions? Well, you know, I think if, if, if a person has that much insight, I don't know where to go. I want this, I want this, I want this. And you sit there in a confused muddle. <laughs> um, this to me is evidence that you're doing something wrong. Mm. So I don't want to suggest that it's easy to become a more active chooser who spends time thinking about what matters and why before you actually start looking. Um, I'm not saying that's easy. It's not easy. It's easier to just sit there as the conveyor belt rolls by. But when it becomes clear to you that doing that, being passive, is not getting you what you want, is not right. you know, making you happy, then you got to find something different. And I would guess the advice I would give is start small. Choose some particular area in your life that is not all-encompassing. And, you know, make a decision that you're going to be more active about choosing in that area. Um, say, you know, what kind of food you want to get takeout from in COVID times uh, in a restaurant. Instead of looking at all the restaurants that are within 10 miles of your house online, ask yourself, what do I want? What's good for me? Um, and then once you've figured that out, you have a much more selective set of uh, possibilities to scrutinize. Um, do it in small areas, uh, get used to it, get good at it, and then start expanding it to more complicated areas of life. And if, if my analysis is right, people will have a harder, uh, will have an easier time choosing and they'll be much more satisfied with what they choose. Hmm. So I, I don't want people to think that you, you know, you flip a switch and all of a sudden you've solved the problem. That's yeah, not how it works. That's right. This is, a, this is a habit that you're building. This is something that you have to learn to do, especially if you've built the habit of not choosing and just being a picker or just overanalyzing everything. You have to start small. So I love that tip, Barry. And as we go through uh, the show today, we'll share with you some more tips that will help you out there, help you make better decisions and maybe limit some of the choices and be happier with some of the choices that you've made. But before we get into that, let's get into gold nugget number three which is being content with good enough is more satisfying than seeking perfection. And so maybe a lot of you out there in Cut the Crap Nation, you are perfectionists. On a previous episode of the Cut the Crap Show, we've talked about productivity, not perfection, but we still got to like pull that out of you, get that perfectionism out of you. So Barry suggests one way to do that where you're trying to look for the perfect solution. I got to analyze everything because I got to find the perfect solution. I got to find the perfect mate, the perfect worker routine, the perfect diet. Barry, you suggest that we should be a satisfizer and not a maximizer. Talk to us about those. Sure. So, so you know, this is a, this distinction between looking for the best, maximizing, and looking for good enough, satisfying was originally made by a very distinguished economist psychologist named Herbert Simon more than half a century ago. And here's the argument. Well, first, here's the distinction. For a ma maximizer, seek the best. The best restaurant, the best jeans, the best job, the best apartment, the best workout routine, the best. Now, the question is, how do you know that you've got the best? What do you have to do to find the best? The answer is you have to look at every option. 
And when there are 300 different kinds of cereal in the grocery, looking at every option means that it will be lunchtime before you've chosen your breakfast. So it's just not feasible to find the best. An alternative is to look for good enough. And, and that's what he meant by satisfice. Good enough doesn't mean that you have no standards. It doesn't even mean that you have low standards. What it does mean is that you go out looking and as soon as you find something that meets your standards, however high they are, you stop looking and you choose. And you don't worry about the dozens or hundreds of alternatives that you haven't examined. And so in a world with limited options, there isn't much difference between seeking the best and seeking good enough. But in a world with unlimited options, the world we live in, there's a huge difference. And, and looking for good enough reduces your search time and increases the chances that when you finally choose something, you'll be satisfied with it. So I think if I were giving listeners advice, the single most important thing I have to offer is that in almost every area of life, good enough is good enough. Mm. That might sit, I, that might not sit well with some people out there, but you know what? You sometimes need to hear that. And the only reason I know that is because I have a conversation with a lot of you. I see a lot of your emails, a lot of your messages, and you believe you have this philosophy that good enough is never enough. And I always want more and I always got to find the best. And you yep. never really get in that place of, of satisfaction though. No, no, no. I think you're right. It will not sit well. And in fact, I have talked about this work many times and particularly among young people who think of themselves as sort of masters of the universe, who will take advantage of all the digital tools that are out there to get the best of whatever it is they're looking for. They, you know, they think, well, this is old guy talking. He doesn't know how to use the tools. So for him, it's overwhelming for him, but not me. I, I have no problem with this world. And if some of them have the nerve to say that to me out loud, I point out how massive is the use of psychotherapy and um, uh, psychotropic drugs by young people who are being so successful in life that every one of them is walking around anxious and depressed. I try to get them a little bit more humble about how just how masterfully they are operating in the world. So yeah, I, there's a lot of opposition to this idea that good enough is good enough, but I think it's the single most important thing people can be whispering to themselves as they go through life making choices. I've seen it firsthand with clients, with friends, with family, with myself. High expectations has absolutely been counterproductive for me. And it has slowed me down. It's fueled that perfectionist mentality. And it didn't lead me to a good place. No, and when and I started, even if you do end up making a good choice, you end up disappointed because it's not as good as what you were expecting. That's right. You or know, I would say, oh, maybe I could have done better. Or maybe, maybe I should, I should have done this better. Instead. That's right. And so you, you constantly live in this sense of this, this, this world of dissatisfaction. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. And in the end, that doesn't actually fuel a positive psychology. It doesn't fuel a healthy psychology, in my opinion. And you can disagree with me if you want, Barry. But um, you know, that, to, to me, is how I feel. Is that when I'm constantly feeling dissatisfied of like, oh, thinking that you know, I could have done better. This could have been better. I maybe could have made this choice and who knows what that could have brought. It does lead to long-term dissatisfaction in my mind, personally speaking. No, no, I completely agree. I mean, you know, the problem here too is there's a, there's a, like a happy medium. 
you don't want people to have no standards and simply t- accept whatever comes their way. That's right. Uh, so you want people to have reasonable expectations, but but this notion that only the best will do is simply a recipe for misery. Let's move on to golden nugget number four. Some choices lead to disappointment. So limit your occasions for regret. So the feeling of having missed out on a better alternative is called buyer's remorse, a regret that undermines your overall satisfaction. So the desire to avoid regret turns people into maximizers. So how do we avoid falling into that maximizer trap? I wish I knew how to answer that question. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, I think, for example, the simple answer is just banish regret from your emotional vocabulary. But I don't think that's right. I think it's important to experience regret. You know, the pain of doing something that we regret increases the chances we won't do that thing again. You know, you're nasty to a friend. And one of the things that stops you from being nasty the next time is how bad you feel because you were nasty the first time. So I think we need regret, but we can't, but we have to find a way to control it. Because what happens is you make a decision and it isn't perfect. So you regret the decision because you imagine that somewhere out there was something else that was perfect. So you make a perfectly good choice um, and feel bad about it. There's a, there's a New Yorker cartoon that I show sometimes when I give talks of a young woman with a, a sweatshirt, a college student, and the sweatshirt says, brown, but my first choice was Yale. Now, if you go through four years at Brown, an extremely wonderful university, thinking all that while that you'd have been better off if only you had gotten into Yale, you're going to be a pretty miserable camper. Mm-hmm. So you have to take that sweatshirt and burn it. And if you're having thoughts that are akin to what's on that sweatshirt, you have to try to evacuate them from your mind and ask, how can I, how can I make the most of my time at Brown rather than what am I missing by being at Brown rather than at Yale? Mm. Um, it takes discipline. It takes practice. Uh, uh, all of us, you know, experience regret about some things. The trick is not to experience regret about every dang thing. Right. I like that a lot, Barry. And something that we talk about here, um, Cut the Crab Nation, as you follow the show, you know exactly what I'm going to say about this. We have two philosophies that I always like to share that will help you limit your regret, that'll help you change these negative experiences that maybe you look back on and say, oh, why did I choose this? If I had chosen option B, I maybe wouldn't be in this position. Nah, because we live our life by two philosophies. It's not a setback, it's a set up. And life doesn't happen to us, it happens for us, which puts us in a state of accepting whatever is. If I made a choice, choice A, and choice A brought about a a, a result that wasn't so favorable, I'm still going to live my life by that philosophy, which says, okay, that wasn't a very good, very good result. But you know what? I probably needed that result to teach me something. There's something in this result that it's going to teach me something that's going to take me to the next level. It's going to open up a new door for me. And when we say, how do we get rid of regret? How do we train ourselves to get rid of regret? By living your life by a philosophy that's always going to try and put you in a state of looking for the, the lesson out of a positive, a lesson out of a negative, I do believe that it's going to help to dull some of those feelings of regret. That's something that's worked for me. It's worked for some of you out there I know already. Um, So I would maybe recommend giving that a try. If you are feeling that 
regret on a regular basis. And Barry, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on what I just shared there. If you um, have a different approach, if you like that approach, if you think there might be something wrong with that approach, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. No, I, I think it's a, you know, I like that approach. Um, you know, there is this, um, this truism, if, if it does, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I think that's a little excessive, <laughs> but, but, you know, looking for the lesson in our disappointments is a very good idea. You know, the question is not so much what went wrong with this decision. The question is what can go right with the next decision. And so if you're looking at scrutinizing the decisions you make with an eye toward making better ones in the future, um, it probably takes some of the sting away from uh, results that are somewhat disappointing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that really goes into and transitions well to golden nugget number five, which is that whatever you decide, anticipate that you'll adapt to the new normal. Spend less effort on choosing and be grateful for what you have. And this comes down to, as you say in the book, having an attitude of gratitude. Talk to us about this. Sure. So it's well-known, well-studied, universal property of all living things is a property called adaptation. We get used to stuff. You move to a, a new house right near a train line and uh, you know the train running by at midnight wakes you up and you go, how can I ever, I can't live here. And two weeks later, you don't even hear the train anymore. That's right. Uh, you adapt to it. We adapt to all kinds of things. Um, and it's a good thing. It's what enables us to get through pain. Uh, well, among the things we adapt to are things that produce positive um, emotion. So you have a wonderful experience and then you go back and do it again. It's not as wonderful the next time. And you think, well, what they do wrong this time? And the answer is they didn't do anything wrong. It's just that you've adapted. Um, And the next time after that, it's still less spectacular. Mm -hmm. And so if you uh, expect that when you're making a decision, it's going to be sort of ecstatically great and remain that way forever, then you're going to be disappointed with every decision you make. You buy a new car, and for the first couple of weeks, you love the smell of the car and the the glances that people uh, direct toward you as you drive by. You know, it's like the best thing that's ever happened to you to have this car. And after six months, it's just your ride. <laughs> so the, the sort of hedonic emotional kick you get is powerful, but it's short-lived. And if you knew that in advance, you might not put quite so much effort into deciding what car to buy. <laughs> you know, you spend a year buying a car that's going to make you excited for two weeks. It's not worth a year. Um, and by the way, the same thing is true when it comes to, I think, with, when it comes to romantic attachments, the unbelievable excitement that romantic partners feel in each other's company simply can't last. It just isn't going to be like the first date every day for the rest of your lives. And if you don't anticipate that, you will end up you know, increasingly disappointed in the relationship, even though it's, you know, perfectly fine and running its normal course. And so instead of asking, was this day of my marriage as good as yesterday? You should be asking, what was good about this day in my marriage? And be grateful about what's good in the relationship instead of longing for or missing what it was like when it first started. 
So that's what I mean by an attitude of gratitude. Um, being grateful for things really has an enormous impact on our well-being. And we tend to notice much more the respects in which things disappoint us than we do uh, the respects in which things uh, satisfy us. So it takes work, it takes practice to ask what was good in this, what was good in this experience? You know, so no matter how much your listeners disagree with what I'm saying, they can ask themselves, well, there must have been something good in what he said. So <laughs> let me focus on that and forget about all the crap. Cut the crap nation. If you're listening to that and you actually thought that we were like, come on, like, I don't believe that. Then what do you listen to this show for? I preach this since day one, baby. Come on. We're talking about this all the time where I don't care how crummy your day was. There is always something to be grateful for. And I drill this into your heads because I want you to get tuned, fine tuned and finding something to be grateful for. And if you say there's nothing to be grateful for, man, there's just nothing to do. It was a crappy day. Then I would argue that you're not trying hard enough. Can you be grateful that you're breathing? Can you be grateful that you're walking on your feet? You don't start to appreciate things until you start losing stuff. Okay, so what I always say is pretend that you lost something. Pretend you lost your house. Pretend you lost your health. Pretend you lost your ability to walk or your ability to smell or your ability to whatever. Appreciate the warmth of the sun. Appreciate your days. Work harder at finding things to be grateful for. It'll enrich your life. And that's not some fluffy BS garbage. I'm telling you, it will enrich your life. And by the way, let me just add to that. It, in these days, it's, it's a lot easier to find things to be grateful for mm. uh, than it normally is because you don't have to look very far to see people who are really suffering. That's right. Great point. That's a great point, Barry. And I think that's a perspective shift for you where I, I'll encourage this uh, as well. And on another show, um, a part of the Resilience Prescription Brain Jiu-Jitsu or Create Your you've probably heard me talking about um, how I will on purpose go and donate my time to people who maybe don't have as much as I do because it changes my perspective and it makes me realize, wow, like how abundant my life is. Abundant not in the sense of how much stuff I have or how much money I have, but the fact that I have um, purpose, that I have meaning, that I have goals, that I have family, friends, community. If I, I go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs or his motivation model and I look at that and I say, wow, like I, I have a lot of the things on the motivation model that these people don't. Wow, I'm grateful for that. But sometimes it requires you to think deeply, think deeply about what you have. And I'm telling you, like Barry and I are, are pleading with you to adopt this new habit because it will enrich your life. Last but not least, Barry, we got golden nugget number six, and this one's all about tempering expectations. So we want to avoid discontentment and we don't want to compare ourselves with others. And on the show, Cut the Crab Nation, you know I say this all the time, comparison is the thief of joy. So Barry, as you wrap this up, share with us why it's important to temper expectations and how can we go about doing that? So there are very few experiences that we have that we can judge on some sort of an absolute scale. The question we are asking ourselves is, was this restaurant as good as the last place I ate? Was this restaurant as good as I uh, hoped it would be. Is this restaurant as good as I expected it to be? Um, so we're all at, or was my experience as good as my friend's experience who recommended it to me? We're always making relative judgments. We're always making comparisons. It's almost impossible to avoid. And so imagine you have incredibly high expectations. There's no experience that can meet those expectations. Hmm. Um, 
So you're, well, you have the experience and you ask yourself, was it as good as I expected it to be? And if your expectations are at the ceiling, the answer to that question is no. And you feel like you've made a bad decision. If you have low expectations or modest expectations, it's possible that the answer to that question is yes, it was as good as I expected it to be. And the result is that you feel like you've made a good decision. And so managing expectations, I think, is the key to getting satisfaction out of decisions. And this is especially important in a world with essentially unlimited choice, because if all you've got is Lee's and Levi's to choose from, expecting the jeans you buy to fit you perfectly is just foolish. You know, what are the chances with your misshapen body that with only two options, you're gonna find a pair of jeans that fits you perfectly. So you have low expectations, you buy your jeans, and you're satisfied with what you purchased. When there are 2,000 kinds of jeans to choose from, it's inevitable that your expectations go up. Somewhere out there is indeed the pair of jeans that will fit me perfectly. And so you buy your jeans and they fit you extremely well, but are they perfect? No, so you feel like you've made a bad decision. You get better jeans than you've ever had before and you feel worse about them. And I mentioned this example, it's what starts my book, because I had exactly this experience buying jeans where they used to be very, the store I bought them and they used to be very little choice and I went to buy new jeans and all of a sudden they had a lot of styles and a lot of cuts and so on. So I spent a half hour trying them all on and I got the best fitting jeans I had ever owned and I felt worse about them than I ever had before because I suddenly expected perfection. And people don't know what I look like, but I assure you I do not have a model's body. And so perfection is not in the cards. Um, I love that story that you wrap that up with Barry. And I think this is a tough one that we have to, again, all this stuff, by the way, that we've talked about today, doesn't come on with the, the flip of a switch. You have to work at this. Yeah. But it starts with self-awareness, being aware of these elements, being aware of how you think, the decisions you make, the choices you have available to you. Are you a picker? Are you a chooser? You know, are you a satisfizer? Are you a maximizer? These are great questions to ask yourself to help you make better decisions in your life. Um, and I love the, the example of the jeans because it's just a very real, simple example of just trying to figure out what kind of pants I want to wear. It comes down to that micro level where sometimes the choice of what jeans you wear can be enough to stress you out a little bit and put you in a state of dissatisfaction. So again, it comes down to everything at the macro level, big decisions you make in life regarding your career and finances to the micro level of deciding what jeans you want to wear or what cheese to buy or you know what temperature to keep your house. I don't know. It's, it's, there's limitless and the yep. amount of choices. So you have to get good at making decisions about the choices you make. And let me just emphasize as, a, as my final word that this business, about, people have to remember it's not throwing a switch. So it takes practice. It is a matter of cultivating new habits. And I would say start small. Develop a different way of approaching choices in a, one or two different areas of your life that are not super complicated and super significant get into the habit of making your life simpler and your choices there, thereby more satisfying. And then you gradually extend it to other parts of life where the decisions are more complex and maybe the, con the uh, consequences are more uh, important. It gets easier with practice. Mm, well said, Barry. Well said. Again, that is the paradox of choice. Why more is less by our friend and friend of the show, Barry Schwartz. Barry, again, thank you 
so much for coming back on the show, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I love talking to you. Great energy. So insightful. For people who want to learn more about you or they want to connect with you, how can they go about doing that? Well, they can type my name into Google and that'll take, <laughs> they'll get way more hits than they want. Uh, and the books are all, all the books I've written are available on Amazon. Uh, I tend to keep a very low social media profile. My, my effort to defeat the craziness of contemporary social media. So they're going to have to do a little bit of hunting, but they'll have a hard time missing me. I love it. I love it. Right on. Well, Barry, again, thank you so much again for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, Ryan. It's a great conversation. All right. There we have it. That is the paradox of choice. Why more is less with my good friend, Barry Schwartz. Now, like I said, this is not the last time that you're going to hear from Barry. I bring Barry back on the show. Whether it's with Create Your Aid or Brain Jiu-Jitsu, haven't figured it out yet. Just details, minor details. We'll figure this stuff out, but it's not the last time you've heard from him. And if you haven't heard the other episode, then go back and listen to Why We Work. It's about two years ago. Also a fantastic episode and a great book. Lots of golden nuggets from that one. If you love this book, then you want to go and get the PDF summary for it. Go to Get Abstract by going to getab.li slash rrx. That's G-E-T-A-B dot L-I slash rrx. You could download this summary for free as well as over 20,000 other summaries. You want to talk about a paradox of choice. You got 20,000 books to choose from. Ah, oh, Kelly Jerry, why are you making life so hard on me? Too many choices. Listen, I'll make it easy on you. Go get the summary for this book in particular and the books that I cover every week. There you go. Make it nice and easy for you. Also, don't forget to please text me. Let me know what your top golden nugget was from this by texting me at 1-917-540-8169. I just want to hear from you. Tell me what your top golden nugget was from this episode. Tell me what your favorite moment was, your biggest takeaway, something that you liked from this episode, maybe something that you felt I, I was missing from this episode. I don't know. I just want to hear from you. I don't care how stupid you think it is or how small it is. Even if you want to text me and say, hey, bro, how's it going? That's good enough for me. I just want to hear from you and uh, I'll throw you a text message back. I love hearing from the people who listen to the show because there's this like barricade. This is barrier. I, you listen to me, but I don't get a chance to hear from you. And I want to hear from you. And I, I take great pleasure in that. I love getting text messages from people who listen to the show and they tell me, what their favorite part is from the show. They tell me about the setbacks they had in life and the setups that came from that. They tell me their top gold nuggets. They make book recommendations to me. They tell me what they're reading. I got a number of videos from people telling me what they're doing this week, and I love that stuff. So don't hesitate to reach out. 1-917-540-8169. My friends, that is a wrap for this week. Thank you so much again for giving me your attention. I know. Based on this book alone, we know how much is fighting for your attention. So the fact that you give me, you bless me with your attention, I do not take that lightly. And I'm very, very appreciative for it. Seriously, I am. Thank you. But until next week, I hope you guys have yourselves a fantastic, productive, inspired week. I'll catch you back here next week with a brand new book, brand new gold nuggets, and an interview with an author. We'll talk to you soon, everybody. Love you all. 